The RCR shop has great gift ideas. From great looking tees, hoodies, caps, tote bags, bumper stickers and more. The RCR shop is now open at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash shop. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Time to catch up with our friend in Ireland. And that, of course, is Ivor Cummins, the fat emperor on X. And he's on YouTube as well, all over the show. And uh, I've really enjoyed catching up with Ivor over the time we've been on. Almost, um, well, coming up uh, close to a year now. Ivor, welcome back. Great to have you. Hey, thanks a lot, Paul. Great to be here. Okay, so I've just been watching um, on your Fat Emperor account on X, what you are calling Crucial News Bulletin for Ireland and the World. A um, couple of um, components to that, an interview. I'm going to ask you about that in just a moment. And then a, a, a kind of a bit of a history lesson. So let's start off with the interview with Meryl Nass, MD. And we are across, or well, many of our audience members are across the international health regulations and the amendments. So who's across 305 amendments in real time? Well, I don't know if anybody is. Even our government is having trouble keeping up. So you feature that and um, you say, please share to inform the people. So tell us a bit more about that interview and what Meryl Nass, MD, had to say. Yeah, right. Well, they came a whole panel invited by an Irish senator to the Irish Doyle or Parliament and they got a room and they had a presentation, seven minutes each. Uh, but Meryl Nass was one of the key figures, of course. And she summarized for me, I nabbed her for an interview. And I'll try and summarize as well as she did. But she said, basically, this is obviously unprecedented. Um, the WHO is funded. The main funder is Bill Gates slash Gavi. So Bill Gates is the second biggest funder, but he is also Gavi, which is the fourth or fifth. So <laughs> it's basically funded by Big Pharma and Gates interests. And they've actually put in the word shall has been put in 168 times. So where there was no word shall, because shall is a legal world word, it's a governance word. You shall do this. You shall do that. 168 times they've put it in and they've taken out the words non-binding wherever they were. So all okay. of this, while the WHO claims that it's fake news that this will take away sovereignty and they use all kind of treachery to justify that, they say that technically the countries do not absolutely have to do everything they're told when there's a quote pandemic, which the WHO, by the way, can call at any time yep. and can also include climate and other nonsense. Uh, and But they are basically going to instruct legally the countries to go ahead and do the work and do the preparations and do all the madness. Um, so essentially, there's no question it is it is a binding agreement and the irish government interestingly wrote a letter under freedom of information about this whole scam and they use the word binding themselves in an official letter from the department of health they said it's a binding agreement and they're all all up for it and yes they support it so they themselves didn't try and say it's not binding and that's on the record now 
So that's not just, um, whoops, we used the wrong word. Someone in the back room wasn't thinking. That mm. is what it is. We can surmise. Exactly. And, and people who are aware of the motivation behind this, it's all the same motivation that drove the COVID madness. Uh, of course, it must be binding. The whole point of this legal infrastructure is that it makes things binding because three years ago, they were technically not binding and they want more iron in the glove for the next nonsense. I think um, Dr. Nass also touches on uh, the the part of, uh, I guess, the the business model, as some have called it, and that is the responsibility to actually search out pathogens, which sounds <laughs> weird because then those pathogens, what, can become the next disease X or whatever, which triggers then this whole regime. It, it sounds like a like a, a closed circle business arrangement. That's pretty much it. It's uh, as Nick Hudson said, we are dealing here with the pandemic industry or the pandemic industrial complex. And that's exactly what it is. That's what the WHO has become. It's a million miles from what it started out uh, being uh, decades ago. So now it is the, the nucleus of the pandemic industry. And that's why Gates and Gavi and all the other droogs are on board. But uh, on that point, which was the point you made again? It was well, that was the, the, the pathogens. Yeah, they're finding them, setting up labs and infrastructure yeah. and, and the funding of all of that all around the world. The responsibility to do that, to kind of feed new pathogens into the system. Exactly. So all the countries are obliged to go ahead, as you described, uh, find pathogens, go looking for pathogens, get the genetic code and the sequencing, and then upload it to the WHO's database. So all these different pathogens can all be there. And Merrill makes the point for any hacker to get in and get hold of all those genetic sequences. Uh, but you can absolutely see what they're doing. They're drawing all the countries legally and practically into a pandemic industry. All the countries will now be engaging in this viral nonsense. So they'll all be on board. They'll all be yeah, cultivated, indoctrinated, drawn into it. All the politicians and scientists will all be in one big viral circle jerk. And yeah. then, yes, <laughs> yeah, when, that's the, when the they word. trigger a public health emergency of international concern, a P-H-E-I-C, which is pronounced fake, of course. <laughs> yeah, funny that. Yeah. All of the countries will now be up to their neck in it. So the first time with COVID, they pulled this scam. The countries were kind of bumbling around and bumping into each other. And Sweden decided not to do lockdowns. And Tanzania, you know, they were testing fruit or something and getting positives, all that stuff. But they want it now that when they click their fingers, everyone will just stand to attention all over the world, all the politicians. And the other point, Merrill made, very important, is all the countries will be able to say, well, look, we, we don't really want to lock down. And yes, we hear you, our people and voters. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we kind of have signed up to this agreement. So we kind of have to do this. So it'll give all the poli uh, politicians an alibi for whatever horrors they uh, bestow upon the people. 
And they will think they have plausible deniability by saying, well, science has found these things. Our experts um, um, are, you know, using the latest technology, the latest genetic technology to identify them. We're really, um, you know, the guardians at the gate and, you know, the experts will be trundled out. You can just hear it, can't you? Oh, absolutely. You could just, you could write the future if this stuff goes ahead. Uh, once they have the powers that they desperately desire, uh, of course they'll use them. And there'll be an absolute shit ton of money behind them using them. Every bad actor in the world is going to be lobbying through the WHO to push, push, push for lockdowns, masks, vaccines, treatments. You know, remember Remdesivir and all these things. And basically, Merrill also pointed out, they specifically write in great detail how countries then, the WHO, if announced, will have powers to come in to dictate quarantines, to direct countries to bring in vaccines. They want, I think, within 100 days uh, is their target for a vaccine to be produced based on a new emergency. And then the countries will roll those out uh, you know, maybe with no human testing, that's fine. That's all in there. You know, whatever it takes, whatever it takes for these future disasters to properly manage them. So it's it's just 100 percent corrupt from start to finish, quite clearly. Um, you mentioned remdesivir. I was just thinking and I think one of the uh, folk that attended that um, that meeting at the Doyle that you talked about was Andrew Bridgen, MP. Am I correct? Yeah, Andrew came over, uh, great speaker and fantastic performance in the two press conferences. Well, I saw that he in the last week has made comments about the use of, well, maybe not remdesivir in the UK health system. There was, a, I think, a, a drug that begins with M. If I attempt it, Ms. Ms. something, I'll probably oh. bungle it. You, you, you maybe roll off the top of your head. Um, but they it's, used it. I always have trouble to middle zazam, zazabalam, something. But he yeah. basically said, and he was straight up about it, that it was a euthanizing tool. It was used as a euthanizing tool against the elderly during this. And then, given that um, the um, consequence of the use of that drug was sort of like respiratory. Um, uh, centered that it could easily be passed off then as a COVID death, a COVID infection and death. And I mean, <laughs> it's just stunning to hear someone like him say that. It's incredible. Yeah, that, that whole thing was an absolute debacle. I believe they ran out of stocks. They used so much of it. Now, the argument they would have is, oh, but these poor elderly people were in distress and it eased their symptoms. But that drug is an end-of-life drug, and the problem is it suppresses the respiratory system, um, and that is intended to ease symptoms, like when dying of flu. And remember, years ago, flu was known as the old man's friend because it's a natural kind of end-of-cycle that very elderly frail that must pass on to the other world. Um, flu often takes them out. And it's just nature. And in this case, it, it was COVID. Otherwise, it was the same phenomenon. But by using that drug massively, it would tend to nudge people out. 
And they would claim, well, it was only because of their distress. We were only using it in the normal way. But they used masses of it. And the argument from the other side is that if someone is there and could perhaps be saved or might recover, well, ram in this drug and you'll tend to tip them over. Yeah. And then you'll get the mortality and the excitement of a pandemic that you're actually desiring. And there are arguments that technically, even if this was a flu and was misidentified, that they just made the flu season much worse with their responses. The psychological terror, the use of those drugs, um, you know, the denial of care, stay at home until you can't breathe instead of getting antibiotics or normal treatments. And if you add up everything they did, I think, indeed, I'm not going to swear this happened, but you can certainly make the case that, that it was literally the impact was largely created uh, by the authorities. Yeah. Well, um, as you say that, um, we found out yesterday that six had died and one rest home um, of uh, influenza just in the last day or so. So that's starting mm. to hit hit here. Okay, so um, that was freaky to hear. Then I think you um, uh, alluded to... Um, the point in in that uh, video presentation, which uh, kind of struck a chord with me, because we're a small country, we often think that we are used as some kind of test market, you know. Um, and if it goes well in New Zealand, maybe slightly big bigger scale for Australia, what four times the population, you know, we can extrapolate uh, our findings from that market and, and kind of get a, an idea of how it goes in the in the global market. Let's say, D- do do you feel that your country is kind of used as a testing ground like that as well? Oh, absolutely, uh, Paul. Yeah. Many, many years ago when I was more in metabolic health, I used to joke that Ireland was a vassal state for big pharma. And um, because long before COVID, Ireland, 60% of our GDP, I believe, is biotech and pharma. Uh, jobs for the people we're packed with pharma and we have a role in setting medicine prices in Europe. So we're already utterly corrupted, uh, sucking up to big pharma. And then during the COVID thing, all our politicians jumped when ordered by WEF, WHO. We had the longest lockdowns in Europe, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So we're basically a puppet state for big pharma slash globalism. And I agree, we're, we're kind of a test case. The recent hate speech laws we talked about that are horrifying, that's another good example. I know in Canada and other places, similar has been pushed through, but the Irish ones are absolutely insane in their wording. Uh, so we are a test case to see what can we get away with? What kind of madness can we actually get away with? And, and Ireland's being used for that. Yeah, well, hate speech, we dodged a bullet because there was a change of government and that stopped uh, was stopped in its tracks, but we were heading that way. Also on your video, the reason I asked this is because there's a bit of history from a chap called Eddie Hobbs that you've got in that video too, something about the crotty judgment. What's that about? Yeah, the crotty judgment was new to me, and I believe the solicitor in Ireland who fought the COVID nonsense Uh, amazingly for years, Tracy O'Mahony may have dug this one out and then Eddie uh, related it beautifully on the day and in the parliament. 
So the Crotty Judgment, I think 1989, someone brought a challenge all the way to the Supreme Court, and I think it was the Single European Act. And the point that Crotty made was that politicians do not have the right to overrule the constitutional uh, kind of protection we have for sovereignty. So it's not for politicians to dispose of the constitutional uh, protection of our sovereignty. So the case was made and the Supreme Court came down absolutely 100% in, in this crotty ruling that politicians cannot go ahead without a referendum to the Constitution in a case where the sovereignty of the country is being in any way given away. It, there must be a referendum. And the only debate about this, Eddie's point was, if they go ahead and force the signing of the treaty and all that stuff without a referendum, there will be a case taken and there will be absolute fireworks and we'll become the test case for the whole of Europe and wider on this madness and everything will have to come out. The government legally have to give both sides the argument. There has to be debate. We'll even get to debate the COVID era because that underpins all of this, this craziness. Um, and if they actually do, well, that's if they do a referendum or if they refuse to do a referendum, there'll, there'll just be a huge bun fight, very uh, public. So either way, this should be great. Now, the government will probably argue that in this wording of this treaty and regulations, it doesn't quite give away our sovereignty in the way that the Single European Act did back in 89. So that would be their argument to try and get the case cancelled or thrown out based on it's not uh, enough destructive of sovereignty. Mind you, <laughs> to try and persuade people, you know, look the other way, that um, they that fundamentally the citizens, the voters don't have a right to decide this. I mean, who do you think you are trying to argue that? Yeah, it's it it's yeah, but again, we we know how crazy this is, and unfortunately, we know how corrupt it is, and we know how the politicians are just yes men and yes women for globalism now. I mean, it's it, it's almost comical. They were shoving in insane levels of migration here for the last year and a half, and they did a Red Sea poll, the top poll system. And 76% said we need to reduce it greatly. We need to stop what's happening with, with all this migration of people with no passports. And it's not, migrants are sleeping in the streets in Dublin now in tents. It's absolutely insane. And yet the politicians keep pushing it when over three quarters of their voters say no, clearly. Mm. So it's just perfect proof that they are answering only to a higher power. And this is the problem we have. They are they are prepared to even risk elections. And this is the other killer, Paul. If you had one main party in a two-party state or one party of three who are working for the globalists to do this, this crazy stuff, you know, then people could vote the other way. But here they've got it really sewn up because all of the parties supported all of the measures, all of the lockdowns. All of the parties will support the WHO regulations we're talking about. This is the problem we have. You need an uprising of the people. You need uh, civil disobedience, demonstrations. 
And unfortunately, because they own the media largely, the media will not talk about this. So the majority don't even know there is an issue. It's it's that's the yeah. tough bit. That's that's the real scary bit. Mm. Okay, um, so that's um, you know covering a couple of uh, items in there that make up that video that you posted up on X. I suggest people go there, Fat Emperor. Search it out and you'll you'll see. Now, something else that um, I'm interested in finding out about, because I think you mentioned sometime last year that you were up for any debate and then you weren't expecting anyone to seriously take you on because you probably uh, deal to them. But somebody did step up, as it turned out. What happened there? Yeah, that was funny. The other day on the Niall Boylan show, and uh, I, yeah, no one would debate me. And it was clear in 2020, the latter half, the word went around, don't debate him, don't give him a platform. Because they'd seen my performance on talk radio in the UK at GB News. And I think they just realized, oh, that guy knows all the data. So he's going to he's going to macerate you if you debate him. And one newspaper, the uh, Sunday Business Post, the big financial paper in Ireland, they interviewed me in a written piece and they actually were reasonably fair. But after that, never again. This guy, Dermot Dorgan, is a writer for the Sunday Business Post, ironically, and also has written for other media. And he's written a ton of articles about COVID. It was never clear when I read his articles what the hell he was saying. He seemed to be complaining about the way it was uh, managed complaining about the zero COVID group that he was part of originally, but he was just word salad. So he wrote to the show, Niall Boylan show, and said he was furious listening to Ivor last December. And he just kept saying how wrong I was without saying exactly what was wrong. So Niall organized a debate and I won't go into detail. It's on my YouTube. If you Google Ivor Cummins YouTube, it's the last video. And it was just hilarious. All he could do was ad hominem attacks. He said, I didn't understand science. He said, I didn't understand correlation versus causation. I didn't understand evidence. Absence of evidence is not uh, evidence of absence. I could go on. He came up with absolute word salad, never clear what he was even claiming. And I just banged through a ton of data simple data that lay people can understand facts so it was really enjoyable it's a great one to have on the record actually um usually there are feedback from listeners viewers etc um to uh, those features when they happen i wonder um have you any idea what the audience thought what what they were saying yeah well that's a good point and i was looking forward to see that so on twitter and youtube and elsewhere, masses of replies. You're absolutely right, Paul, that people like replying to debates. And now there may be bias because of the following, but I mean, 99.9% ripping him a new ass and, and just totally found it hilarious and really enjoyed it and that I murdered them. But, we, yeah. <laughs> well, one or two said, well, you know, it's great to see a debate, and I thought both sides, uh, you know, were were so kind of civil. But the reality is, the overwhelming response was the arrogance, the lack of knowledge, and the ad hom attacks, and the kind of sound bites and silly analogies. It was it was just car crash. 
And Dermot must have known he was in for that. He must have. I it's it's a really interesting question, Paul, because even my daughter said, Well, be careful now, because he writes eloquently even though he says nothing. And he's probably going to be a slippery eel. And I thought as well, why is he doing this? And we haven't answered the question. It could be a Walter Mitty kind of delusional brain. Yeah. Yep. He saw the the size of COVID and he wanted in. He keeps talking about future measures we'll need and we'll need surveillance. So it's like he wants a piece of the pandemic industry somehow. Okay, and so even if he takes a hit on his image, as long as he's up there saying the right things, being the squeaky wheel there, he might get hired for something. Possibly. And other people won't just think he must be on the payroll because it, there's just no explanation for this bizarre behavior. But I think maybe he just smells the payroll. I don't yeah. know, though. Yeah, people do weird things. Now, you <laughs> mentioned, um, and it, I hadn't um, intended to ask you about this, but, but because you mentioned GB News, did you see the Scottish guy, Mr. Watt, I think his name was, vaccine injured with a heart problem, talking directly on the GB News show? Um, it was like a, a forum that they had going. Um, with Rishi Sunak. Did you see that? I I did see it, and I, I actually made the comment and retweeted it, and I said, hard to watch, and I put in quotes, um, the scientists ate my homework. Like, it was just astonishing yeah. to see Sunak basically just answer and say, well, we just followed the scientists. Uh, well, the experts told us to do this. <laughs> and it, it was like a real cover your ass, you know? It was astonishing. But that guy, he was very passionate, uh, clearly. Uh, great performance for television, uh, what he did. Now, someone did send a reply, just a single one, showing apparently that guy being convicted a few years ago of some domestic thing. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it, but if it is true, they'll use that, I suppose, to counter yeah. his point. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you, do you think that means anything? You know that, that, that this is being um, upfront in the face of the British Prime Minister, who said a week before that that uh, in Parliament to Andrew Bridgen, actually in answer to a question from him, that he unequivocally was of the opinion um, that uh, this thing was safe. Though he didn't say effective, they've dropped effective, but he said it was safe. <laughs> yeah, I mean. The definition of safe, it cannot meet that because it's accepted that there are side effects, there are X amount of deaths and and debilitations. So it it can't be called safe. Safe means, you know, like generally regarded as safe, GRAF and the FDA. It's just safe. It just doesn't cause a problem. So he says that one side of his mouth and then he acknowledges injuries on the other side. And it's just politics. It's just word salad. Um, but what he's clearly doing is now positioning himself in case there's significant blowback that we followed the experts. Classic yeah. Nuremberg uh, excuse. And didn't uh, Dr. Robert Malone say that's a while back? Wait for that. That's going to be how they'll Ooh. deal with that. It, it, it always is. The politicians deploy whatever scams come down from the rich and powerful, and then they always turn to, quote, experts, 
And then that's their get out clause. Well, we're not scientists. (laughs) (laughs) Only uh, doing what uh, the experts were telling us. But to have that on a mainstream, because GB News is pretty well mainstream, um, Mm. on a mainstream um, national news network TV in the UK with those things being talked about so directly now, that's got to be something. Yeah, I know I agree. It's very positive. Uh, Unless the person got caught lying or something of that nature, that kind of phenomenon of seeing that on such a relatively large channel, uh, we didn't see it, I don't think. I'm not sure. It wasn't covered on BBC or the others. Right. But it still... It gives great support to the people who have been injured and to the people who know that the whole thing was an absolute scam. And also it will reach some more people who have misgivings now about taking it, are not sure. They don't want the conspiracy theorists to have been correct and they don't really want to talk about it. But seeing it out there on those platforms will maybe give some people courage to to stand up and say what happened the last few years was 100% wrong. Uh, it was criminal. It was the, the coercion, the mandates uh, on the back of a bad flu equivalent. It was criminality. And at least know that going forward and stop any future uh, similar criminality. Yeah, I, I, was, I was just wondering if, because it's very hard for people to admit that they did something stupid. I get that. You know, that, that's, that's it's difficult. But if you can do what the politicians do and transfer, well, I was only following... The advice, what do I know? I mean, medical professionals, they know what they're doing. The experts, uh, family doctors, always been good. If you can transfer the being ashamed of your own decision-making to, uh, you know, believing what someone who you thought knew what they were talking about, who kind of persuaded you, that is a way of of dealing with it. Uh, absolutely. it's It's that deniability. Now, the good news is, I'd say, it's not like they can do that and then get to do it again in the near future or the future easily. Because now, once they have to pull the excuse that, well, okay, it's wrong, but I was just following the experts, well, then you can't pull it off again because hopefully everyone will say, hold on a minute. You just admitted a debacle and you were only following the experts. We know they're bent. Um, And of course, the experts are just the pandemic industry. That's the problem. So it's hard to pull it off again. So I think to this question, oh, will they pull disease X in the next 12 months? I think they'd have to lay low for a while. I think they're playing it right. Get the legal infrastructure in, hate speech, health regulations, and spend the next couple of years locking down the legal. And we we always should remember, Stalin changed the laws in advance of everything he did. Hitler did the same thing. So most of these totalitarians steadily changed the law to theoretically make what they want to do legal. Um, And I think that's where the WHO and the pandemic industry is now focus in the next year or two and getting the laws in to ensnare and entrap the people. As always, great catching up with you, Ivor Cummins from Dublin, Ireland. Thanks for coming back in, Ivor. Thanks so much, Paul. Till next time. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Loving what you're hearing? Well, the establishment hates it. And right now they're conjuring up new ways to try and censor RCR. 
to ensure you never miss a beat of the hard-hitting news you've come to know and love, make sure you're on the RCR mailing list. Get connected now at realitycheck.radio forward slash email.